Welcome to a new episode and a whole new season of The Thing You Do podcast. I'm your host, Tammy Rumfeld. Thanks for being here. I know it's been far too long. I'm glad we could do this again. I am super excited about this week's guest. He is truly a delightful human being. Like, think Ted Lasso, and I'm not exaggerating. His optimism and his passion for what he does is contagious. And even if you have no interest in what he does for a living, stay with this conversation. I think you'll find it to be good for your soul. And don't we all need some of that right now? So have you ever wondered how songs end up getting played on the radio? Like, have you ever been listening to the radio and thought, why this song? Who decided that of all the songs and all the musicians in the world, that this is the song that should be played on this radio station? Well, depending on the radio format you listen to, my guest today may have had a significant role in why you're hearing that song. Chris Hauser is an independent radio promoter, and his job is, essentially, to convince radio stations to play the artists and songs that he represents. And he's been doing it for a really, really long time. Our conversation starts at the beginning of his four decades in the music business. I, I, can, I can trace it back to this. I, I ended up in a radio TV degree uh, in a community college in Syracuse, New York from 78 to 80. And my second year there, one of my college professors came to me and said, hey, Sue Boehner down at WYRD on Erie Boulevard in Syracuse has a part-time job opening at her Christian radio station. And I know you're one of them reborn again types. <laughs> That's what he said. You're one of them reborn again types. Uh, and I told her maybe you would be a good fit over there. I was like, I love it. So I went and interviewed and got a job working at that radio station uh, on Sunday afternoons. And in 1983, I became program director at that radio station. Now, uh, there were charts. CCM Music Line was a radio chart. It was an industry publication in the early 80s and went through the 80s. Eventually, there was R&R, Radio and Records. Eventually, there was Billboard. Eventually, Media Base. All these things have grown up over the years. But because I was a reporter to one of those charts, two of those charts, the Christian AC chart for Music Line CC, from CCM, and then I had a rock show on Saturday nights called Pressing On, hmm. uh, uh, taken from a Bob Dylan song of the same name from a saved record, but also from Pro, uh, Philippians 3.14, I, um, I was being called every week by record promoters at the labels to try to influence me to play their songs on their labels. Because if I played their songs, then it would mean more on the radio charts. So obviously, you know, lots of people don't understand about how this works, but I mean, everyone is, has some kind of memory of Casey Kasem's Top 20 Countdown or Top oh, yeah. 30 Countdown show. And that's simply reflecting the songs that are getting more airplay than others that week in that radio format. And so I was part of that, building those charts every week uh, by the record company, uh, by, uh, by CCM Music Line. And Tammy, early on, when those record company people started calling me, I thought, now that's a job. That seems like a lot of fun 
calling radio stations all day long and just talking about life and talking about their songs and talking about their artists. It was the highlight of my week. Uh, Tammy, when I left that radio station in 1987, uh, we were in a double-wide trailer in a swamp in East Syracuse, New York. I was a program director. I was hiring and firing people. My part-timers made minimum wage, which was three thirty-five an hour at the time. And I was making $12,500 a year gross as a PD at that radio station. I was 27 years old. And, um, and so having been on the receiving end of all of those promotional calls and um, there were no such thing as promo tours no labels ever sent any promoters out on promo tours Um, but our radio station in 1984 in the spring of 84 won an all expense paid trip for a a radio listener and a guest and the program director from that radio station to go to LA the City of Angels for an all-expense-paid weekend around the Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith concert at Universal Amphitheater. Oh, my word. Which, at that time, was like, that, that, is, that was the biggest, for sure, uh, Christian lineup ever. At Absolutely. Point. So, Amy had just released the Angels song. So, this is why they were sending somebody to the City of Angels. Ah. And so, uh, we won. And I went to California, and I got to meet all these people that I'd only been reading about or seeing pictures of in magazines. And uh, it was an incredible experience for me. And we were hosted by the record promoter, by the Murr label promoter, Mike Dwork. And I came home from that trip back to Syracuse, New York, looked at my wife and said, one day we will live in Los Angeles. Wow. And that terrified her. Um, And in... The uh, summer, or no, 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 the spring of 87, I was, I'd had enough of Christian radio and I was, I'd gone through seven general managers in eight years and I decided there's no way I want to do this any longer. I want to go work for a record company and I paid my way to come to GMA week in 87 <laughs> to meet as many people as I could. If I needed to walk up and down to Monbrian in Nashville with a sandwich board saying, I will work your records to radio. Um, I was willing to do it. And uh, by the fall of 87, I mean, like basically about four months later, they were calling me saying, we, we think we have a, a position open here. Uh, and I'd been making my, my intents known to record companies for probably three years. Like, if, there's, if you ever move on, I want your job. How can I have your job? And um, and so I ended up getting the the gig at Murr Records, and had three magical years at Murr, um, working Amy Grant, Russ Taff, The Imperials, Phil Keggy, One Bad Pig, Holy Soldier, Julie Miller, Philip Bailey from Earth, Wind, and Fire, uh, the Choir. It was an incredible three years. So I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, and I'm not explaining at all what I do. Well, the, no, that's okay. But what's crazy is that, like, they brought you in brand new. This is the first time you've ever done this. And it's not like they gave you the D-level artists. I mean, you were all in with that. No, no, no. You're totally right. And I also happen to be the first person ever hired out of radio to go work for a record company. 
prior to me, all of the label promoters were they kind of moved over. They were either glorified college interns mm -hmm. or they'd moved over from marketing. Uh, but none, uh, maybe one person years and years before had had radio experience. But prior to me, no one had come from radio. Hmm. And and so I came into their marketing meetings and said, uh, they were like, okay, we're going to do this for radio. And I'd be like, I don't think that is going to matter. And I was finally a person who'd come from across the tracks, come to the dark side, and I was able to say, here's, how about if we do it this way? And uh, man, I mean, my star rose very quickly in that world, also having amazing records to work. And uh, I, Tammy, I came into my gifting. Um, ever since I was, I was a kid, I've wanted to get people to love the music that I love. Uh, and I can tell you stories going all the way back to like eight, nine, ten years old of of those kinds of experiences in my life with friends and family. And so I've been able to turn this into a a very, very wonderful career over I'm now starting now that it's October, I'm in my thirty-fifth year wow. of doing this work. So I love the way you describe that because really that is what a what a music promoter does. It is encouraging other people to love the music you love and you get to do that every day and you were clearly destined because if you loved the calls you got as a program director from the record labels <laughs> i gotta tell you <laughs> that's not typical most program directors are like running the other way oh yeah unless it's you calling of course they all want to talk oh to no no that's that is that's very sweet <laughs> and i i yes i can say that but can i can i tell you a, a horror story from my record day from yeah. my radio days please um in 83, um, I got a, a locked metal box from Murr Records, and it, on it, it said, a uh, sticker said, Radioactive Material, the band of the 80s. This was early 83. And, uh, and, and so there was no key. And so I just p was patient. Other, I heard other people like broke it open, but there was a 45 RPM record of a song of the debut single from a band called Whiteheart. And it was called He's Returning with Steve Green on lead vocals. Oh, wow. And it was pretty rockin'. It was pretty rockin'. And uh, so a week later, we got the key, unlock it, open it up, put it on. So within a week or two, the record promoter for Murr at that time calls me and says... Are you going to play this Whiteheart song? I said, I think it's too heavy for us. I, the power chords, it's a little bit too rock and roll for the format that we're, we're trying to program for. He said, well, are you playing Michael and Stormy O'Mardian's Praise His Name and See It Happen? I said, uh, yeah, I am. He goes, they're basically the same song. They're basically the same song. Hauser, how do you even pick your records? I'll bet you stand at the top of a staircase and you have a stack of records and you throw those records down the, the staircase and whatever gets all the way to the bottom, that's what you add for that week. And Tammy, I was so horrified. Um, my face got so red from the embarrassment and the, uh, the shame of it that my glasses actually fogged up. Oh. <laughs> and... Uh, do you think I ever wanted to take that guy's call again? Uh, no. Nope. Uh, another time, uh, I was all excited to tell this other label that uh, 
that his Kenny Marks record, Make It Right, was number one. And uh, literally, Tammy, in that time period in the mid-80s, the charts were monthly. Now, I could, I could look and see how the chart is building every five minutes if I want to uh, online. But back then, the, the charts were monthly. And so uh, I, was like, I was like, man, your song is number one this month. And he'd already moved on in his heart. And he was like, okay, cool. I, I really need to talk to you about this Cynthia Clausen record. And I, I vowed in my heart, Tammy, that day, if I ever get into this position, like I had a front row seat to the best and the worst promotion all through the 80s as to how to craft my career if mm -hmm. I wanted. And uh, I thought to myself, if I get into that position, I'm going to turn inside out, make standing ovations, do everything I can to know that a radio station, when they choose my song over 50 other songs, that they are going to know how grateful I am, how appreciative, how much I think they're brilliant, and how much they rock. And I've, I've built a career on, on that idea. You, you definitely have. And here's the thing. When you're a record promoter and your relationship with these program directors is a weekly, like you said, you're making the phone calls. That's something you still do. That's still part of the business. And we'll talk about that. Yes. But there's always a degree of skepticism from the program director side because it's like, yeah, they're just being nice because sure. they want me to play their album, you know, and of course their <laughs> album is the best one out there, but they haven't heard all these other ones. And right. You know, so there's always this, a bit of skepticism about the sincerity of the record promoter. And it is. I mean, it's sales work. Yeah, it's absolutely it is. sales work. Yeah. It definitely is. And, you know, just like you, but, but it's sales work that is so relational, so yep. relationally based yep. because it is regular and especially because you've been in the business so long. I mean, it's it's all the time relating to the same people. And I will say this about you and I don't. This is not flattery. This is not trying to, you know, say anything that's not absolutely true. When your name comes up in conversation in the industry everybody's like, oh, Chris, like he's the best, like he's the real deal. Like when he calls and asks you how your kids are doing or how your mom who's been sick is doing, it is genuine. It's not, I'm just playing the game because I want you to play my artist. And I think <laughs> that's because number one, you were in the radio business, but number two, you've been in the business long enough that if you were full of crap, people would have seen through it by now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, those those people go away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they... they I've seen them come and go, man. I've seen I'm see I've seen so many of those people come and go. Um, and um, not that everybody who's not still doing it at 35 years, you know, got out because of bad behavior or something. Right, right, uh, right. Not any, but there's I can tell you this: there's loads of rejection in this work because really I am getting no all day long and uh, through much therapy. <laughs> and um, intensive inner healing. Uh, I've learned over the years to not take things personally. That uh, that if a person is not playing my songs, it's not because they don't like me. Um, but that they that there's just the competition is so brutal. And I I, I know we're going to get into into that aspect of it as well. Yeah. Well, let's do that right now. So sure. for people who are just completely new to the the whole idea of this you know all they know they turn on the radio and songs play and maybe it's crossed your mind a time or two like why does that song play instead of this song yep. well you 
And your role has a lot to do with that. So tell me about exactly what it is yeah. that you do. So um, between the labels and independent promoters who are not uh, working for a label, uh, there are probably about 25 total radio promotion people in the Christian music industry. And they are all pressing in on radio stations to get their songs played on that radio station. Let's just say, uh, Tammy, are you at a, a one particular station at the moment, or do you do voice work for lots? I am with two. I'm with Worship 24-7 um, and also with CFR in Kentucky. Okay. Okay, great. So let's say w, uh, CFR, uh, mm-hmm. good, good friends. I love those guys. So 25 promoters are pressing in on that radio station in Bowling Green, Kentucky, uh, and they're working around 50 to 75 songs in a given week to that radio station. And that radio station is going to have one available slot. Hmm. So as they consider those 50, let's just round it off to 50. As they take those 50 songs into consideration, they have to figure out the tapestry of how all the songs are fitting together and how all the songs are working. And um, they have to, they have to uh, consider if they take one song out and put my song in, how does that change? You know, the tapestry is what they call it, but how, do they, how does that change the flow and that sort of thing? So they'll make one ad choice. They add that song to their playlist and then the leftover 49 songs that didn't get on, they shift to the next week and the process starts all over again. And it's incredibly competitive to get on a radio station. They have 50 songs and one slot. Uh, oh, but when those 49 songs roll to the next week, oh, guess what? Here's three or four more new songs that have just come into the mix that they have to figure out. And if any of those three or four songs are from what we call an A-level artist... Lauren Daigle, Casting Crowns for King and Country, uh, Jeremy Camp, Chris Tomlin. Uh, it's a long list. If any songs come from those people, then those are automatically going to get a leg up and almost automatically go in in front of these other songs, especially from new artists that we've been trying to get played. And so it really truly is a wonder that we've ever had a Lauren Daigle or mm-hmm. ever had a For King and Country or a Brandon Heath, or going back to 2005 and Aaron Schust, um, where where a song is good enough that a station in that stations in mass about 115 stations that I work with every week will say, "Yep, this unknown artist has crafted a song, a melody, a message, a performance that is so compelling. I'm going to tell for King and Country, and I'm going to tell Chris Tomlin to take a back seat." I'm going to go and put my chips in on this new artist. And quite frankly, I mean, that is, that's the joy of my life is, is breaking new artists in our industry. And I've been around a bunch of it over the years. Yeah. And so, like you said, these program director directors have a lot of choices, only a few available spots every week. And so your job now is to get that program director on the phone and say, hey, Here's why you should consider yep. this new artist. Yep. What what can you possibly add to the 
to the song and to the reputation of the artist? What is it that you can bring to the table? Um, it's uh, I have to believe in the song. Mm-hmm. When I worked for two different record companies, I did not believe in some of those songs. Um, and and even further, there were some artists on those labels that I did not believe in, but it was not my label. And I was a hired uh, employee to go get songs played on radio stations. And so that was a bit of a soul-sucking, and, and there was some misery there in my life during that time period, uh, especially working uh, at the second label in the 90s uh, here in Nashville, working with some just just some bad situations it was there was some real challenge there so first off i have to believe in the record i bring that to my phone call uh because i'm independent i turn down the records i don't love i turn down the clients or the artists that i think are going to be too high maintenance and not uh not happy with my work and so my tammy i tell people that i make a great living talking to my friends all day long about music I love. I love that. and But it, it definitely took a career of establishing yourself and your reputation to be able to get to this point. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a joy and a breeze in already in the, in the interaction that I have with these people. First off, I always can go back and think about, I was in this chair. I was in that chair. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to get steamrolled by a promoter. I know what it's like to get heavy-handed pressure. And um, and that never wins in the end. It never wins for the relationship in the end. Because I, I need people to look forward to hearing from me. I need people to be happy that I'm calling them. Um, and by and large, that's, that, that is the case. You know, getting phone calls back from people, having laughs, praying for one another. Uh, there's there's all of that that goes into years and years and years of relationship with these people. And so um, the other piece of that, the interesting thing is the charts come out on Monday. So I say I have a new report card every Monday. Um, so I don't have to sit around and wait, you know, six months to see if my efforts, my efforts work on a weekly basis. I can see the fruit of my of my efforts and actions. Beyond that, every week is a new story. So I'm. Let's just say, you know, I I worked uh, Jordan Saint Cyr and a song called Fires. Um, the ad date on that was May twenty second of twenty twenty. It took a year to go top five. He was an independent artist when we started. There was enough activity going that uh, a label, BEC Tooth and Nail, uh, signed him to a deal in the fall, and then they assumed the promotion and the expenses and that sort of thing. But it took it, it took us a year to see all of the airplay for that song uh, that it became. But every week, every week or sometimes every couple of weeks, there'd be one new station that would say they'd see enough other activity happening on fires that they would go, man, I'm going to keep, I'm going to come back to that song because I, I didn't hear it initially, but now it sounds different. Guess what? The song's not changed, but something in their perception has changed. I'm going to come back and I'm going to, and then I'll go, Hey, uh, now I've got KLTY Dallas playing. Now I've got KCMS Seattle playing. 
And then these other stations go, oh, they're playing it now? Oh, well, then I take it more seriously. Then a month later, when those stations are saying, my gosh, our numbers are through the roof. Our research is through the roof. Our audience loves this song. Then it's like, Tammy, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> Eventually, it becomes easy or, or easier because I've got this, gr I'm surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who are backing me up and saying, yes, this song is a hit. Uh and so there's there's that kind of uh, there's that kind of experience where I'm building a story, and sometimes it just takes a long time to do it. Now I would imagine for every Jordan Saint Cyr fires, which is truly one of those like Cinderella stories, because it was a, an artist nobody had ever heard of, a name that's right. kind of hard to pronounce. Yep. I, he's Canadian, right? Is he Canadian? He is. Yep. So I mean, he had a lot going against him when it comes to just getting airplay. He sure did. And you pushed and you pushed and you pushed because you believed in him. You believed in the song. You saw something in it. It turned out to be a message that was very appropriate for the time we're living in. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I would imagine for every one of those, there's probably 150 <laughs> that you push. Well, maybe not that quite quite that many. But there's probably quite a few that you push and you push and you push and you stay with. And then they just, it just never happens. Yes, yes. And being independent... Um, because I have a business to run, mm -hmm. sometimes a charity, but mostly a business to run. <laughs> um, I, you know, if, if Jordan St. Cyr, after three months, said, I've run out of money and I can't pay you anymore, um, then I would have to make that decision as to whether to just hang in there with it. Or if he said, I don't have any more money, but I'm hoping BEC is going to sign me in the next two to three months. Can can I ask you to keep working this, and we'll you know we'll write you into the contract or something, or we'll, uh, then I would have that decision to make in that time period, and that would just come down to what does the rest of my, what else is coming at me, what's my workload look like, how connected do I feel to the artist and the manager, um, and I'm, I I probably would have said yes to mm -hmm. Jordan in that position. But sometimes people will just run out of money uh, or I'm, you know, I'm meeting with a, with a uh, independent artist this afternoon. We, we have not gotten very far and we're probably going to have a decision, um, going to make a decision to pull the plug on a song that after three months has just not gotten enough um, action to keep moving forward and keep, you know, throwing good money after it. And so there, there are those decisions that get made on a, on a monthly basis. That's got to be brutal, especially telling that to the artist. I mean, it's their baby in a lot of cases. Yep. And you're like, yeah, nobody likes your, nobody likes your kids. Sorry. I know. <laughs> I know. You've got an ugly baby, man. And oh. uh, see, but I, I, I would, I've never signed on to work an ugly baby. Right. 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 I've never signed on uh, just for the money. I, 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 as an independent since 1998, I'm, I take a record because I believe in it mm -hmm. and, um, and I'm, I'm going to keep going until, until, I, I mean, it's, it's a little bit cynical to just say, you know, until the money runs out, I, I, I don't live it. I, I don't live that way. Um, but if, if you know, there are means, then we keep moving. We keep mm -hmm. moving ahead. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's, sometimes it's worth failing fast. 
to go like after two or three, after three months, just go like, man, we just could not turn the corner. I believe in it. You believe in it. But I just could not with the competition, with everything else that's out there right now. And I'm telling you, Tammy, in the last year and a half, the competition has been more brutal than I can ever remember it being. Hmm. Some of that was artists sitting around at home writing songs in the pandemic. You know, that's interesting because I thought about this. During the Black Plague, that is kind of what spawned the Renaissance, right? And I've thought that this period of time, people being stuck at home, people dealing with hardship, this is going to produce a lot of great work from people. I really believe that. Yes, and it has. It absolutely has, but it's also made for a, a, a worse competition than ever. I mean, truly great records are getting put to the back burner. I mean, truly great records from artists that, like one artist in particular that I think could be the next big thing, like a massive star in our industry. People are slow, so slow to get to this record because they've got so many other A and B plus level artists that they've just got to get on the air. Because radio stations will say, look, our listeners don't know what they like. They like what they know. Mm. And there's a degree of truth to that. I mean, I think sure. it's a little bit, if oh, you're yeah. hearing that and you're a radio listener, that might feel a little bit um, patronizing. But the truth, the record goes to show like that that's actually kind of what happens. Whether we like it or not, as consumers, it really is what happens. No, no, it's absolutely true. And I, I can't I can't fault it, you know, and... Um, I mean, they know Lauren Daigle and for King and Country. And at one time, they didn't they know didn't. Lauren. Exactly. They didn't. And so that's the beauty of it, is everyone does have a shot to break through. And, uh, and it's, it's just incredibly gratifying when a, a song comes out of left field, uh, Jericho by Andrew Ripp, mm. or Fires from Andrew, uh, Jordan St. Cyr, or, you know, uh, Into the Sea, uh, It's Gonna Be Okay from Tasha Layton last year. These songs just kind of come out of nowhere, and the artists break through. And, um, and Tammy, the, the, the funny part of it is when a, when a radio station will say, like, I don't hear it, I don't hear it, it's not a hit, I don't hear it, and six months later, they're adding it, and they'll, <laughs> and they'll say, oh, man, I knew this was a hit. <laughs> and I just have to, you know, just smile. Grin and bear it. I, yeah. I definitely don't have to rub it in. There, no one likes being around that kind of a person. So it's it's totally fine. Well, you do have to have a great instinct, but you also have to understand, and you have to get this. And I think anybody in in the business has to get it. Like you're out, you're going to be wrong. I mean, you just are. Yep. You just there are going to be times you're wrong. Listen, I tend, I think, and I'm probably we all think this. Like I think I have a really good ear for. These, this is going to be a big deal. These guys are going to be big. This artist is going to be big. They've got what it takes. The first time I heard for King and Country, I was like, mm, they're a flash in the pan. They're using family connections. They're good looking. This song's catchy. But, you know, they're going to be one and done. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, I missed the boat on for King and Country. And we can all do that, right? We all have that, that thing that we like, oh, okay, maybe I missed that one. I, I remember uh, the first time I heard 10th Ave North, uh, like a like a demo. I was like, eh, Switchfoot knockoff. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nobody cares. No one's going to care. I, I usually keep those kinds of dumb thoughts to myself. And I, I might have really kept that to myself anyway. I mean, it's, who cares? I mean, um, and that's another part of the beauty of it is I just love being around for this kind of thing because nobody... If this was a formula, 
then then there's no beauty or mystery or magic or mischief hmm. or chance to any of this. It's not a formula. We don't know where these next hits are coming from, and we can't predict. Um, 10,000 Reasons by Matt Redman. I was just at a funeral yesterday, heard the song, I worked that record. Mm. The label said, hey, can you hold a spot for Matt Redman? I'm like, I love Matt Redman. I've been in England and hung out with Matt Redman. I'll, I'll do whatever... I'll do whatever I can for Matt Redman. And they were like, okay, we're working on a song. We're working on a song. We just don't know. It's probably not going to go anywhere. He'd really not had a hit. He'd really, really not had a hit. He'd had a couple of written hits for other artists. And they said, okay, we finally landed on a song. It's called 10,000 Reasons. We're doing a remix. We have no expectations for it. So just, just humor us. Can you just help us for a couple of months on 10,000 Reasons. Can you just humor us? We don't have any rec any expectations for it. I'm like, I, I love Matt Redman. Sure, I'll help you with this. Well, it's won Doves and Grammys. Yeah, yeah. And it might be, it's probably a gold-selling single. And it's it was one of the biggest records of the year and of probably five or ten years around it. And, and the smartest people in our industry, not not me, but other people, did not hear it as a hit. They heard it as a contractual obligation to the to the manager and the and the sub label uh, or the imprint, and it ended up changing Matt Redman's life, and it changed my life. Mm. And so we don't know where these things, where these where these hits are coming from, and that's part of the beauty and what keeps me hungry and open and humble, and. Uh, and excited about what I'm going to hear next. So you represent artists who um, don't have, who aren't signed, who don't have a record label. That and, does happen. And then also labels will kind of subcontract with you for yes. promotion. Yes. Okay. I, I mean, I, I don't know the subcontract. I suppose I'm a subcontractor, but uh, independent, or, or sometimes it's even called consulting in a sense. But no, independent promotion. And so uh, some of the, you know, Word hires me and they've got four or five people on their team. Capital will hire me, same thing. Provident sometimes will hire me, uh, four or five people on their team, but they, they feel like they could use one more voice, mm -hmm. one more voice. Um, uh, and, then, and then there are labels like Goatee that does not have a, um, a promotion department. So they hire me and another promoter. But those are Ryan Stevenson, Tarion, uh, Finding Favor in the past, Holland in the past, um, Cochran and Company. So I'm I'm the face of their of their label to radio. And so uh, yes, so I've got a number of label clients and a number of uh, a couple of independent clients as well. So you really kind of get the best of both worlds because you get to do the stuff you love. You get to work with a lot of established artists and new artists that are promising enough that they've been signed by a label. Yeah. Um, yep. And you get to do it kind of on your own terms in your own way. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Tammy, what, especially at the, uh, the, the Warner Alliance in the 90s that I worked at, I mean, the meetings, the meetings, the <laughs> meetings I sat in. Oh, my gosh. One time we, we sat in a meeting for an hour and then somebody said, if you look around the room and if you added up all of our yearly salaries and then, uh, and then uh, divided it up 
we could come up with a hard dollar number as to how much money was just wasted by us all being in this room looking at one another. But I get to, I don't have to be in meetings. I'll have a couple of Zoom meetings in a week or uh, with, with label clients. But by and large, I get to just talk to my friends about music I love and then deliver the good news and sometimes bad news to my clients. And there's just, I'm 61 years old. And there was so much stress for me living at working in the label world. And there's just so little stress for what I, uh, for, for my job day to day and week to week. I'm, I'm so thankful. You hear this saying, do what you love and the money will follow or do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And yeah. I've often wondered, is that like a real thing? Does that really happen for people? And you might be the closest to it that I've ever encountered, you know, <laughs> because I mean, even I love what I do, but there are plenty of days that it feels like work. <laughs> like, yeah. It really is like, oh, this is all day long a challenge, yeah. you know? And Tammy, uh, Tammy, I would also say that we get to choose a perspective. Mm. I told you I make a great living talking to my friends all day long about music I love. And that resonated with you. And you're like, oh, my gosh. And uh, there are plenty of people. I, I had a label head this week tell me, Hauser, you have the best job in the music industry. I said, I, I can't argue with you. I really can't. And um, and but Tammy, I could take a perspective and I could say. I get told no all day long. I leave messages for people all day long. I sit on hold sometimes too long. I have constantly have clients that are unhappy with me. I constantly have artists that think I'm not doing enough for them. I could take that perspective and live in a whole different mindset week to week. Because a version of all that is true. But I choose a different perspective. I love that. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, we could talk forever, but I know you've got actual like work to do. But let me ask you quickly, is there anything else that you feel like you need to mention that we didn't get to? Uh, gosh, um, go right now to YouTube and look up Patrick Mayberry. Oh, I love Patrick. Go ahead. R-I-C-K and then last name M-A-Y-B-E-R-R-Y. And Tammy, if you've not seen this music video... Stop everything. I mean, almost put me on pause just to go to YouTube and look for the music video, not the lyric video, but the music video for Holy Spirit Come. It is one of the, the best music videos I've seen in 10 years in our industry. And uh, it is an amazing, amazing track. Also, Brandon Heath, um, longtime friend, uh, really amazing guy. He's got a new song, um... Uh, called Human Nature. That's my favorite song since Gunger's Beautiful Things in 2010. Uh, that's my favorite lyric song. And uh, you'll it, give me time to talk about anything. I'm going to talk to you about music I love. And these two artists and their songs are ones I love right now very much. We'll leave it there with Chris telling us, his friends, about the music he loves. I'll put a link to the songs he just mentioned in the show notes. Now, I did watch the Patrick Mayberry video, and he was right. It is fire. Again, a huge thank you to Chris Hauser for his time today and to you for listening to this episode of The Thing You Do.
let's do this again soon. And don't forget, you can listen to previous episodes of the podcast pretty much anywhere podcasts are found and at thingyoudo.net. Finally, if you have an interesting job or you know someone who does, send them my way. Email me at tammy at thingyoudo.net and tell me about the thing you do.